the Petri Dish Podcast with Rachel, Lindsay, and Sabria. Welcome to our first podcast of the 2014 year. Woo, happy new year. Nice. Now I can start forgetting to write 2014 for the next two months. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we've had some new developments. We got a new theme song. Yay. And we've had over 5,000 listens to our podcast. Yay. So we want to thank everyone who's ever listened, um, liked us on Facebook, um, told anyone else about our podcast, rated us on iTunes. Um, we really appreciate everyone spreading the word. And so for this first episode, we wanted to talk about something that happened towards the end of the year um, concerning girls in science. The year, there was a viral video put out by a company called Goldie Blocks that showed three young girls watching television, and they were watching a very princessy, glitter, magical <laughs> um, cartoon. And, you know, the looks on their faces were of absolute boredom. And what they ended up doing was building this complex machine called a Rubric Goldberg machine uh, to turn the television off. And Goldie Blocks is a company that wants to promote um, engineering. And one of the things that they really highlight is the lack of toys out there for young girls who are interested in these kind of... Um, well, I think it can be explained by if you've ever walked into a toy store and you've gone down the girl aisle and the boy aisle. The girl aisle just explodes pink and dolls. And the boy aisle has the games and the things with the construct different tools and toys. And I think trying to bridge that gap a little bit more and making some of these engineering type tools or the tools that help you develop or create something more accessible to girls as well is um, an area that's been highlighted a lot lately. Right. Well, and, you know, on that along that same line, when this video came out, there were also a ton of articles written about the lack of women in these STEM fields, which stands for the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, just a few of the titles of some of the articles that I read were, why are there still so few women in science? The mystery of the missing woman in science. Something about STEM drives women out. Um, why the status of women in STEM field, fields needs to change. And so there's this conversation that's bubbling up about not only the lack of women in science, but also the need for women in science. And so while the kind of environment of women in science today could be a whole nother podcast, one of the things that we really wanted to talk about was how, you know, did we get interested in science? How do we get kids interested in science? How do we get kids to stay interested in science? Mm -hmm. um, and... And kind of what we can do also as scientists to promote kids to want to be scientists. I think, as you said, that there is a lot of information out there about statistics and what the, what's dubbed the leaky pipeline and what goes into that and how, as women in science careers progress, um, there's different factors that are all contributing to why there may be less women in the actual careers of science, but I think, like Sabrina said, that's a topic for an entire podcast, and in terms of why we were interested in science, I think we can all point back to maybe when we were kids. Right. I mean, I think I was incredibly fortunate that my parents were really supportive of any kind of thing that I was interested in. So, you know, it's like one week I would be interested in dinosaurs and then one week I would be interested in Barbies and the next week I'd be interested in Legos. So I always really felt like, especially around Christmas time, my presents were just so incredibly diverse. I mean, I have this really vivid memory of me sitting 
you know, in front of our fireplace with, um, whenever my parents would get me dinosaur sets, they would always come with these plasticky looking, I mean, it was almost like a placemat <laughs> that had like the, you know, dinosaur terrain. And it was like, oh, I'd have my Barbie doll sitting like on one side, but then also like my dinosaurs on the other. So, you know, for me, I, I was just like, I kind of had the best of, of both worlds. And, you know, as I got older, um, science was just always super interesting to me. And I had a really, you know, and I feel like maybe for a lot of people, it can also not just go back to being kids, but also having a really good science teacher. Mm-hmm. And I had a really great um, middle school science teacher. And then my AP biology high school teacher were just, who were both females, um, were just phenomenal at really kind of making science interesting. Like, I was always really excited to go to science class. I mean, yeah, and that's something that a lot of people um, have cited in these articles about why there are not so many women in science. You know, at an early age, there's really no divide. If you go back early enough, you know, girls definitely have the aptitude for science. And one of the things that I came across was the idea of access to a computer class in programming. I know mm-hmm. it's not biology science, but the idea that um, boys are so much more interested in those types of things because early on they are targeted to video games. And then the interest in video games and that idea like leads them into the computer realm. And then I'm sure you all knew someone in high school, especially a guy, who was home taking apart his computer and making something up or like seeing what was inside. And not that I also didn't have that curiosity, but I think there's a little bit of... Um, I mean, those early experiences are extremely formative. And it can be subtle things like that. Like, oh, I like video games because there's fast cars and violence. So you know, I wonder how they make video games. It's not that much of a, of a jump. From there. And I feel like what you just said triggered something in my mind that I think is an important thing to discuss, where you said that, you know, you had access to both the girl toys and the boy toys, and that, you know, if you go into a toy store, it's the pink aisle is for the girls and the blue aisle is for the boys. And maybe the conversation should be, why why does there have to be a distinction of whether this toy is for a girl or mm-hmm. for a boy? Why isn't it just a toy. toy. Yeah. You know, sometimes for kids, maybe they do see it as just toys. And then it's kind of this marketing thing of, mm-hmm. well, we want it to be catered to girls. So we have to douse it in pink and glitter. No, and I, I certainly agree that it, it has a lot to do with the marketing and trying to force girls into like, oh, you should be in this box where you like all of these things. And then it just kind of takes over has a life of its own. And then you're just cast into these two different categories where, right. I think any kid is curious. Yeah, and I think holding those things as being separate is part of the problem, too, because, you know, for whatever reason, little girls almost, I I don't know if I want to say almost always, but let's say a lot of the time, love princesses. I don't think that's going to stop just because if people stopped marketing to them, and they're not going to. But the fact that, like, why can't a princess be a scientist? Well, that's, you know, like making that distinction between, like, things that are feminine and then you know no you're not going to be those feminine things you're going to be a scientist instead I think that's the mistake you need to kind of integrate these things that it's not like you know scientists are excluding another Another fun point that I found out is when I was just googling some things is that the actual Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts are trying to push this initiative um, to really have people interested in computer programming Um, and they actually the Boy Scouts have an official badge that you can get by um, for skills in programming and the Girl Scouts are actually pushing an initiative that's just started as well. They got um, a huge grant from Dell to make this program for the girls and they're also trying to make an official um, badge or patch. I'm not sure exactly which one it was, but I think just this awareness and giving them the option to try new things I think is really important. 
I, I think that's a really good point. I think it's, it is the awareness and I think it is giving kids options. I mean, I was reading and I think Rachel, maybe you were telling me this, that most, some high schools don't even offer computer science classes. I think most, even some of the, um, well-regarded charter schools, things like that. It's not something you see very often, even today. Well, and I, I feel like for me as an actual female woman in science, I think about, you know, what I can do to get younger people involved in science. And one of the things that I always come back to is that, I mean, at least for me, and like I said, when I was younger, I had, you know, I feel like my experience with females in science is a little different in that, you know, I, like I said, I had many female scientists in my life, um, from my AP biology teacher to my middle school teacher, even the first person that I worked with in a lab was a female. I think it's making women scientists visible mm-hmm. so that kids can see, like, I mean, I'm not even just talking about female kids. I mean, I'm just talking about kids in general can see that, you know, they can kind of get the notion. I mean, I don't even know, like, sometimes what kids think scientists are. Well, that's it's really funny. So there's this actually, um, this great website that was put out. It was like in the early 2000s. Um, the seventh grade class went on a field trip to a lab that was like in the area and they were asked as part of their assignment to draw a picture and make a statement about what they thought scientists were before they went to their visit. And then after they went on a visit and met actual scientists, how that evolved into what scientists actually were. And some of the, um, we'll put a link up to the article on Facebook, but some of the um, categories that they put scientists in before they met them were really funny. So everyone in the pictures that they drew had white lab coats on them. Many of them were bald men with glasses. And I think one of my favorite ones was the after picture where the person has a speech bubble that says, I'm a scientist, I'm a regular person. And because I feel like sometimes people don't view scientists as just regular people. Right. A lot of a lot of the kids talked about that thing use that word, right? they're just regular people, as if this was a revelation, which is actually, you know, slightly depressing, but I'm glad that they had that change in paradigm, but they went from saying things like, scientists are very focused and ask annoying questions and, you know, have, you know, crazy colored things in bottles to, which know, sometimes we do, scientists like racquetball and have lives outside of science, you know, things like that, that they seem genuinely kind of relieved and excited to learn about. Right. So then, I mean, I guess what, what do you guys think is like, what do you think is like the gateway drug? <laughs> you know, dinosaurs, for... <laughs> dinosaurs and space. Space is definitely one. Um, I mean, I think those also are fed into by science museums, um, which, you know, I'm all for. We spent a lot of time at the science museum in Boston when I was a kid and I did very much enjoy it. I think I agree with the idea of the space and understanding that there's so much out there. And being able to be like, oh, can I figure out this? Can I ask this huge question? Like, oh, is there life on other planets? Or where did the dinosaurs go? And just having that natural curiosity, like I was talking about in the beginning, I think comes naturally to kids. Definitely. I mean, the stereotypical kid in a commercial, you know, asking annoying questions. Why is the sky blue? Because why is this, you know, they, it's a natural thing for kids to reach out and want to learn about the environment. So I guess how to keep that nurtured and... And then how to translate that into this could be a career, right? I think is um, is a hard part of it. I was actually watching. You can Google obviously you can Google anything, but I googled (laughs) why people wanted to be scientists, and you can find interviews of people on YouTube and different um, 
written interviews of people's answers, and um, they all come back to this fact that they were inspired when they were younger, and they were they continued their quest to understand things, whether they became a physicist or they became a, sci- a biologist or whatever the case may be. So then the question becomes, how do we keep them interested in science? I mean, I guess it would be helpful to just, whenever you're like asked in school, what do you want to be when you grow up? There's always the traditional answers of, oh, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be president or whatever the case may be. But I guess maybe giving kids examples of what else you can be in the realm of science. And technology for that matter. I think I think mentors go a long way. I mean you can see that in the website we were talking about. They just went and met these scientists one day and it completely changed their mind. And even one of the little girls said something like, Maybe even I could be a scientist, you know. And I think just realizing that that's a job that people do is a huge step because even today I would say I have a lot of people that ask me kind of, you know, so what exactly you Ugh, my dad asks me that all the time. Like, are you in, are you in a corner in a lab with a lab coat doing things in silence by yourself? <laughs> Sometimes. No, actually, some, I mean, some, some days it, it can be a little bit like that. But I think the bigger picture is that, you know, we aren't these mad scientists. Well, which might make you wonder where are people getting these images in their head of what these crazy scientists are like? Yeah, I mean, I think you can always look to movies and TV shows and and things like that, although I will say that whenever I go and talk to younger kids about, you know, if whether they want to do science or, you know, what their ideas are, a lot of times they will say, oh, well, you know, I watch CSI or Criminal Minds, and, like, that's the science that I want to do, and while they do tend to make science, like, like rather, yeah. rather sexy and glamorous, I feel like at least they are getting kids interested and think, talking about Yeah, and I think that brings it back to career. the point of being able to see what you could, not that the way they go about it is the actual way that it happens in a lab. But you don't fact, do science in the dark? No. <laughs> um, but the idea of if you have a problem such as a crime and you want to ask if there was DNA evidence, you could ask those things because of science. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we can we can capitalize on this too. You know, some educators have started thinking about how to teach science in this way. And when I was uh, in college, I had a work study job where I just prepped a lot of lab supplies for this program called City Lab. And what they did is they had uh, middle school and high school kids come in, or they would go out on. They had a sort of this magic a bus? school bus. Yes, I totally did that. Um, where they had <laughs> lab benches built into the bus. Um, and the way that these lessons were designed, they were designed for different um, age groups. So some of them were simpler for the middle school kids, et cetera. But the one I remember the most, you know, there was sort of this mystery that they had to solve. And it was sort of, I think it was the mystery of the sickle cell or something, where they actually did, they had a question. And it was sort of in this, you know, we're solving a, a murder mystery kind of, I don't think it was a murder, that seems a little dark for middle school. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the idea is there that, okay, you know, something happened, let's figure this out. And the kids really got into it. Well, I think it's just phrasing, framing it in the right way. Like getting someone interested in curious in a question or seeing the bigger picture. I think a lot of times if you can see the context of where you're going or what you're solving in the huge, in, by doing these small tests or experiments, if you can keep in mind that big question, I think that makes it exciting. Right, and that's the interesting part, and that's what you don't get exposed to too often in school. I was kind of a, a late comer to the whole science thing, and I didn't really like it that much until I started doing labs and started 
um, you know, either doing labs in class or working in the lab, because when you just sit and memorize a book, sometimes it doesn't really seem all that interesting unless somebody's presenting it in a really exciting way. But when you get to actually apply it, that's when I thought it was a lot more interesting. And I think you don't get that until a lot later in your education sometimes. Well, I feel like that is the issue that Goldilocks solved or is trying to solve where they are presenting something. I mean, I don't know. It's not even like they're tricking girls because, you know, it's still very much like you're doing something fun because I sometimes feel like some people don't see science or engineering as fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they are building this system that is fun and also learning something at the same time. And I'm glad that there's this emphasis now, being, especially with the holiday season, people needing gifts to be on toys. But I think it's important to remember that it's also about education. Um, it's having good science programs when you're young. It's, again, being exposed to the possibilities of careers. And I think making sure that both of these things get equal um, press and equal representation yeah, is an important thing to remember. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons that the Goldilocks thing is how has gotten so much press lately um, is because of one of the fact that it is an engineering tool directly or I'm sorry specified directly for girls Mm -hmm. and I feel like if they do as well as they hope that they will other marketing people or other toy companies will see hey there is this um, need that we need to fill for girls who are interested or who could become interested in these fields and I mean, I think that's I think that's a very important thing to really give access to engineering type toys to everyone. Oh, but sure. But I also yes, think yes. that you have to remember these are also companies, and they want to make money. So this is also a way for them to design toys specifically for girls, instead of going back to that idea that engineering toys should just be for everyone, instead of having these two niche markets. I think it's going to take time. I mean. You know, for toy companies to really catch on, there's going to have to be an increase in demand. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that there's enough people right now calling out for these things. I think we definitely need more. And I think that it's going to take a while for society to sort of catch up on that. Well, I kind of let go of the idea that pink equals feminine, blue equals masculine, or, or just really or any of those anything, kind of yeah. gender color notions. And that you know, we can just, you know, one day in the future just go into a toy store and it just be toys no matter what the gender of the child is. So we've talked a lot about what we remember from our childhood or maybe some toys or just how to inspire kids. And if, if you can think of something that made you think you want to be involved in science or what inspired you when you were little, feel free to email us um, at the Petri Dish Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tweet us. Or post it on our Facebook. Yes. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us and leave any comments or feedback you like there as well.